Why do you believe that? That's what I was taught in Sunday school. Is there any reason to believe that as an adult? No. I don't really know if I believe it or not until somebody proves it, I guess. Is there any reason to think about it further? No, I don't think about it much. Why not? I have so many other things to think about. It, but I, you know, if I ever get in trouble or something, I say, oh, God, Lord, help me. So I must believe some of it. What is? What do you think that means, that in times of trouble, that's the first person you turn to? I don't know. Must be something down deep in here. Do you think that's worth examining at all? Someday. When? I don't know. <laughs> Someone that came to Jerusalem a long time ago? Yeah? What's your interest in Jesus? No, we're just trying to get people's opinions of who they think he is or was. You think he was or was? Was. Yeah. So he was just a man who hung out in Jerusalem? Well, probably a remarkable man. Do you think he was remarkable because remarkable in a human sense or he had some kind of supernatural connection with God or was God in any way? Well, I'd say he was remarkable for what he said in that time and the, the originality of what he said. Um, whether he himself had a, some supernatural connection to anything else is beside the point. I think his message was more important than that. I think uh, there's not much around to remind people of what Jesus may have said. And those institutions that are around, I don't think they do a particularly good job. And people are mainly looking elsewhere when they want that sort of thing. Regardless of that, do you think he was God? No. I don't think that. Welcome to Jesus Is... A journey through John's gospel. Today we're in the middle of John chapter 4. We live in a world that does not know Jesus. He's a historical figure. To some he's their homeboy. To some he's an annoyance. To some he's just some guy. Each week we've seen various clips of people on the street clueless as to who he is. And it's our desire that as we journey through the gospel of John that we see who he is and we learn who he is so that when we get an opportunity to share who he is, we're equipped and ready to declare the truth. A few years ago, I did a series on atheism entitled Atheism Sucks. It's in the dictionary. It means to remove quality from, it means to diminish, it means to tear down. There's not many art galleries of atheistic art, not many atheistic hospitals. Anyway, I won't preach the sermon again or the series again. But there was a young man that attended our church at the time. He's since moved on. He lives in another state. He didn't pay much attention to the series. He wanted to be filled with the gifts and the Holy Ghost. It wasn't his cup of tea to be equipped to state the reasons for faith in a living God. And in Fort Worth one day, he just happened to walk into a, a situation where PBS was doing a series on atheism. And they were interviewing on the street. And because he hadn't paid attention, he was unprepared, and he only had one answer to their questions. Guess what it was? Atheism sucks. <laughs> Needless to say, it did not make it to their broadcast. That one hit the cutting floor. John chapter 4, the context here is Jesus and his disciples are journeying from Judea to Galilee, and they are going the straight way. You'd have to take two extra days to go around Samaria. They're going the straight way and going through Samaria. And Samaria is, a, is made up of a mixed race 
of people that had been moved in by the Assyrian Empire years earlier, centuries earlier, in fact. And as a result, they were kind of confused as to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were cousins to Jews, as it were, distant relatives, but not accepted. There was great prejudice between the two groups. And they arrive at a Samaritan village called Sychar. Jesus sits down to take a break. It's noon. It's hottest part of the day. The disciples go into the village, much to their chagrin. No doubt they did not enjoy this, but went in there to shop for some things to eat. While there, a woman comes out by herself in the heat of the day when women normally don't go out and get water. Usually they get it early in the morning when it's cool and late in the day when it's cool. Carrying a water pot, and he has a conversation with her, asks for a drink, tells her that he has living water, and he tells her a little bit about herself, that she'd been married five times and was living with somebody that she wasn't married to. And she didn't take exception to it. She didn't say, that's who I am, this is my identity, and celebrate her immorality as though it was her gender or her race. She said it was true, and she saw something that she had not seen before, that this man was more than a prophet, but he was the Messiah they were looking for. The Samaritans believed there was coming a Messiah who would be like Moses, who would lead them somewhere that would be godly, who would restore all that they had lost during their days of captivity. So they were looking forward to this Messiah. She runs into the village and declares, I found a man. And the village didn't say, oh, great, another one? And so we break into this just before she takes off. Verse 27 says, And at this point his disciples came. All right, they come back with the food. They marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. She never did give Jesus his drink. And went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ or could this be the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Have you ever done anything that was so fulfilling, so important that you forgot to eat? It, it fed something in you that food couldn't meet. If you've worked out in the, the tornado zone, you can get so busy you forget to eat. You can get dehydrated easily. You've got to remind one another while you're out there, hey, have you drunk something? Because there's so much work to do, and it's so much more important than my belly. You all can tell I need to work out there some more. Christ came. This is why he came. He waited 30 years. Finally, he's able to minister life to people. This is his first contact with this hurting race of people, the Samaritans. And he's not about to stop and have some bagels and cream cheese. He's ready to proclaim some truth. Why he came. Verse 34 again. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Tell your neighbor, look. For they are already ripe for harvest. And he who receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Can we say sowing and reaping? I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered in 
to their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Boy, I bet that was stretching to the disciples. They didn't just go through there and stop for lunch. They stayed for two whole days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. A few years later, an evangelist named Philip comes to town, and hundreds are baptized in water. And a church was established outside of Jerusalem in this town where the seeds were sown on this very day. Lord, we ask that you give us hearts to hear your word, that we would leave here inspired to be better sowers and more effective reapers. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'd like to speak on the subject, Jesus is Lord of the harvest. Can we say he's the Lord of the harvest? doing the will of his Father. He is the Lord of the harvest, doing the will of his Father. Verse 34 ends with these words, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He came ultimately to sow his life into humanity, literally into the ground. One place he said, Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But it comes back multitudes and we are the result of him giving his life for us so no wonder his last words on the cross were, it is finished he came to finish his work as the lord of the harvest do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest all right when you plant something naturally how long does it take to begin to bear fruit if it's a vegetable three or four months right right I'm from Illinois, you know, April they're planting, and August those combines are rolling. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white for harvest. Now, I don't know if this was harvest time at that time. Barley can look like it's white. But he was referring, no doubt, to humanity, especially to this place where they were at. This field where they were at was ripe for the reaping. Here's a picture that applies to this verse. The fields are white for harvest, John 4.35. But let me just stretch your thinking a little bit. Could he have been pointing to the crowd of Middle Eastern people coming to him as customary, primarily men coming? Could the crowd have looked like this? In semi-arid climates, you don't wear dark clothes. You wear white. Could it be this was part of what he was referring to, the field coming to him? White, ready for harvest. Harvesting involves sowing and reaping. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. If you don't plant seed, you're not going to get a harvest. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. 
For the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, the sower becomes the harvester. Immediately he thrusts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Others before them had planted seeds. No doubt Moses was part of that picture. That they were looking for the prophet that Moses prophesied would come. It would be greater than himself. And that seed was germinating in their hearts. And when Christ came, they were ripe for the picking. They became believers. His own people in his own hometown had doubts as to who he was. But these people were ready. Jesus is Lord of the harvest. Number one, the harvest involves the condition of the seed. Number two, the harvest involves the condition of the field. And number three, the harvest involves the condition of the harvesters or their sowers and the reapers. So number one, the harvest involves the condition of the seed. Jesus is the seed. Genesis 3.15, after delivering the, what the curse of sin would be, this promise is given to the woman. It said there was be enmity between the serpent, that is the evil one and his kingdom that tempted them and they made the choice to fall. There would be enemy enmity between his kingdom and her seed. Singular. And her seed would crush his head, but he would bruise his heel. And that, no doubt, was pointing to the crucifixion because hanging on three nails, all the weight of his body is on those nails, and on one of his heels, crucifixion. When Cain was born, Eve said these words, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She thought this was that seed. Boy, was it he disappointed. Killed her secondborn Abel. So they had a thirdborn, Seth. As she said these words, I have gotten another man from the Lord. She's looking for that seed. And for centuries, mankind looked for the fulfillment of that promise. And then an angel visited a woman named Mary. And she was chosen to give birth to that seed. The seed of woman, not of man. A man was not involved in his birth. The seed of woman came to bruise the head, to take away the authority of the serpent. Are you glad about it? Jesus is that seed. And he gave up his life. He was planted literally in the ground. And through his resurrection, we receive life. And his word, like seeds, still stand. By faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When God speaks to you, that word becomes saving faith in your heart. That word gives faith to endure, faith to obey, faith to be selfless. It's not selfish faith as some are preaching faith to an extreme. It's a selfless faith. And it's all based on the word, the seed of our faith. The harvest involves a condition of the field. It's important. If you're going to have a fruitful harvest, the condition of the field. Now, we don't just sit back and say, well, I don't think he's ready and I'm not going to give him the word today or I'm not going to give her any truth because she's not ready. No, in the parable of the sower, he threw out seed on all kinds of ground. Good ground, bad ground, thorny ground, stony ground. God gives the increase. So we can't make the judgment call. But in this case, there was a great harvest because the field was just right. So look at this. The Samaritans were oppressed by their enemies. 
the Romans, cruel leaders. You could be going home from work, and a soldier could tap you on the shoulder and say, here, carry my armor. And you had to carry it a mile. And then go home and explain to your wife why you're late. They were looked down upon by their relatives. Jews to the north, Jews to the south, hated by both. Mediterranean Sea on the east, and I think some Jews were on the west. They didn't have it going on, did they? They were ripe for the Messiah. And their religion, what little truth they had, was limited. It was only enough to make them thirsty for the Messiah. When he came and offered living water, they were ready. The harvest involved sowers and reapers. Jesus wanted to involve his disciples in his work. He told them to lift up their eyes. Can we say look? Look. They had to begin to look at these people through different kinds of eyes. He confronted their prejudices. They had to stay there two days. They got involved. If there's anything that limits the harvest, it is prejudice. Prejudice is to prejudge someone. Prejudice is to hold on to all the lies you've heard about another person or a people group. Prejudice is of the devil based on lies. And these disciples got stretched. They had to stay there. Who knows where they slept? Stay with those people their culture thought of as unclean. I wonder if they thought, I wonder what the folks back home would think if they knew what we were doing right now. But see, they'd become believers. They recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He was their Lord, and he is the Lord of the harvest, and he will lead us to freedom from things that hinder the will of the Father in our lives. Jesus said this, this promise in verse 36, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Maybe you've sown a seed of kindness in someone's life. Maybe you've sown the seed of the gospel in another person's life. And somebody else comes along and gets to lead them to the Lord. We don't stand back and say, well, that wouldn't have happened had I not done this. No, you just say, great, hallelujah. It's all for him and his glory, isn't it? Jesus is the Lord of our harvest. Can we say our harvest? We have Samarias to face. We have a job to do. We are still here to do the one thing we can't do in heaven. Evangelize. There's no lost people there. By faith, there's not going to be any here. Our harvest involves the condition of the seed. Is the seed good? Is it good? Jesus is the seed. He gave up his life. His word still stands. And his people have been his harvesters, his sowers and his reapers for generations. And we enter into their labors. We stand on the shoulders of the generation before us. May the Lord help us to do our part. To be faithful as laborers in obedience to the Lord of the harvest. Our harvest involves the condition of the field. What is the condition 
of the Granberry field right now. Our field has overwhelming needs. But doesn't more have more? Yes, it does. But more has more people too, so it's all relative. The needs in our county are overwhelming. There are abounding, can we say abounding, opportunities to serve. I mean, literally, we're living in a time when you walk up to someone working on their house and ask, can I help? Or would you like some water? They're not going to turn you away. We've been set up for showing and sharing God's love. A man named Bob Mason preached here last month. And the sermon was, God is setting you up. And he talked about the history behind the monument to the unknown God in Athens on Mars Hill. When Paul came, it was set up, perfect place to declare the gospel in Acts 17. We've been set up, so what are we going to do? This is just a glimpse, a bird's eye view. Pictures only begin to tell the story of the havoc that nature gave to one of our big neighborhoods. Our harvest involves being sowers and reapers. Have we looked at the fields? Out of sight, out of mind. Well, I'll pray. Well, you can pray more effectively if you look. So I challenge you to begin to look around our county. You hear where there's damage? Go and look. What we see affects what we do. It'll change our heart. If you're discouraged and depressed, feeling sorry for yourself, take a drive down Rancho Drive. Look at the fields. Have we repented of our prejudices? Well, I understand there's some illegals living down in there. Oh, really? Read Acts 17. God establishes boundaries in hope that man might find him. Talk about right for the gospel. The illegals are real ripe. Well, I don't know if I can work side by side with Baptists. <laughs> Repent of your prejudices. If the church of God in Christ and Mennonites can have a ministry together with logos painting their vans, anybody can work together. You may not have prejudices, but you may have unhealed hurts towards individuals even within your church. That will hinder the will of God being done in your life because as our Father, He wants us to get things right while things are getting ripe for the harvest. Don't be ripped off by holding on to offenses. Let them go. Larry Lee used to say, don't nurse it, disperse it. Are we going to get ourselves involved? Yes. Our hands dirty. Our sweat flowing. This is our opportunity. This is it. We've sent teams all over the world, and guess what? The mission has opened up right here. Where are we going in 2013? Granbury, Texas. You ever heard of the place? This is a true saying. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. The ball is already rolling. That's the hard part to get the ball rolling. It's already rolling. People have come in from all over the nation to help us. Samaritan's Purse may be pulling out tomorrow. They've been here. Operation Blessing, 
was here. Moving on to more Oklahoma where there's greater amounts of need. Met people with God's goodness. My own sister's ministry has been here. Moms Against Hunger. God's pit crew. God's bucket list. Mercy chefs. I mean, more ministries than you could shake a stick at across the country have come here to help us get this thing started. And now they've had to move on during this stormy season to go somewhere else. Well, we enter into their labors and do what we can do. Well, isn't insurance going to take care of it all and people are going to make money off this? Everybody doesn't have insurance. And you ever fought with an insurance company? They don't cover absolutely everything anyway. So get up off our blessed assurance and do something. Amen. This is Jody with Operation Blessing. This was a mobile home that got blown up. This little field by this mobile home was filled with press trucks. CNN, NBC, ABC, some of the Hispanic networks were there, and she had to wait for her turn to get up and do her little news clip. She's now busy in Moore, Oklahoma. They came and helped us get the ball rolling, but they had to move on. Otherwise, they'd still be here if other things hadn't happened. Well, I'm already a partner with CBN, but that's great. That's great. But it's time for some sweat equity to get involved, do what we can do. What does that mean? I don't know. You pray and obey. The Lord of the harvest has a plan for you and I. Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, whether both alike will be good. You don't know who's going to get saved and who isn't. Just go out and show and tell. Show when you can show and tell when you can tell of the goodness of God. Proverbs 24 says, A sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore he will beg and harvest and have nothing. Things can get a little nippy in April. And if you use that as an excuse to not plant your crops because it's cold, August you're going to be hungry. Galatians 6 verse 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who of the household of faith. I have a new hero. This is the church he attended in Wales. This church sent him out to be part of the London mission in the 19th century to China. And while there, he was part of, of reaching out to Korea and was killed in the process. This is him, 27 years old when he died. Here's a memorial established there at that church. In memory of the Reverend Robert Germain Thomas, Bachelor of Arts, of the London Mission, Peking, China, he was the second son of Reverend Robert and Mary Lloyd Thomas Hanover. While on his second visit to Korea on mission work, was put to death by the inhabitants in the year 1866, age 27. My days are past, my purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart, Job wrote. What happened was he was given an opportunity to travel with some merchants that wanted to establish trade with Korea. And Korean culture was hostile to outside influences. And while sailing down one of the major rivers there in Korea, the merchants started a fight to show off their big cannons and got their tails whipped. And in the process, this man died 
But in dying, he gave his Bible to someone. That Bible was ripped up and pasted like wallpaper on the walls of the guy's house. And Korean Christians around the land, it was just the church was just in its infancy then, discovered this, and they would go to this house to read what was on the walls. Today, this man is a villain in North Korea, but a hero in South Korea. Gave his life without even really a chance to preach there. His Bible was there as a seed. And today, South Korea, the church growth rate is three or four times the birth rate. The largest churches in the world are in Korea. What destiny lies in your hands, in your seeds? If you'll walk through this door that's before you, what door will the Lord open next for you to walk through? It's time to step out of the culture of the armchair quarterback and get on the field. Jesus is Lord of the harvest. Let's do the will of our Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to Samaria. Thank you for being our example. And Lord, we need your help in this time of need in our community. I pray, Lord, the strong things I said, that you would help apply them to the hearts of those that needed them the most. And Lord, I ask you to strengthen those who are weary today. In Jesus' name, amen. In a minute, I'm going to call the prayer team to join me across the front. And if you're here and you'd like to make Jesus Lord of your life, you'd like to give your life to Jesus, we'll be up here to pray with you. If you're here and you haven't been following Jesus like you should and you'd like to get back on that path again of following him, we'll be here to pray with you. If you're here and you're weary, you're weak, you're shaken, you're rattled, and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you, you need strength, you need encouragement, we'll be here to pray with you as well. Amen. Can we stand? And as we stand, prayer team, just come on forward. And as they're coming forward, if you'd like to receive prayer, to receive Jesus, to be strengthened, or to follow the Lord with a renewed devotion. We're here to pray with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may He use you as sores and reap.